Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. In talking about the love of God, I first want to pray for us. Because all things from God, as they interact with, with, our, with our faith, are what's really called a revelation, or an aha, I get that moment. And even with the love of God, we need that. We need an aha to understand the love of God. So I want to pray for our hearts this morning, that that would uh, affect and infect, with a good disease, our lives in such a way that we come to a deeper understanding of the love of God. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, are here somehow related to the idea that God loves you. So let's pray. Father, you are the God of love. And we do want to know what love is. And Lord, all the boundaries that have been put on your love, I ask that by revelation you would come right now and allow us to step over and outside of those boundaries and understanding. That anything that was effectively in the way that you would knock down and that the true revelation, Jesus, of who you are, the revelation of the knowledge of Jesus Christ would come to our hearts, that our hearts would be enlightened with it, that our hearts could be opened up to it, and that our hearts could come to that place of understanding of it in a new and fresh way for each one of us. And we receive it by faith in your name. Amen. So familiar is the word, and yet can feel so far away in feeling. Isn't that true? Um, It doesn't matter how old or young you are. uh, And so often, when it's related to God and God's love, it is so deeply understood. Part of it because of the way that we were taught or the way we were immersed in the understanding of the gospel in that uh, it started out with you needed to confess how awful your sins were in order to believe, in order to avoid hell, in order to understand the love of God. And so using multiple negatives to find a great love of God for any of us in our thinking is often difficult. Um, Brenda and I were discussing this week because this is a you know, history time in my life, and we were discussing about when I was a young man and all alone. And I had one friend when I went to, I got, I was in the Air Force and got stationed in Turkey. And I made one friend, and I've never been able to find him since then. His name was Joe Odom, and he was from something, something, Crick Hollow, Tennessee. I mean, he was, he was one of those Appalachian kids. And everything, but he was very bright, and we read a lot together. We read a lot of books, and that's how we connected. And he had a roommate that was a Christian that just berated us with no end about how bad we were and how how bad we needed a savior and how bad we were going to roast in hell if we didn't come and give our lives to this person. Well, 
it just didn't set well with either of us and didn't make any sense. And honestly, we got high and laughed at him and made fun of him because it just didn't connect with all. And as Brenda and I were talking, I said, all he would have, all I was waiting for was somebody to express love to me. Maybe just somebody that would listen to me. Joe Odom did that in his own way. He never told me he loved me, but he expressed it in the ways that he interacted with me. Uh, He never put me down. He always listened to me. If I knocked on his door, he'd say, what do you want? I just need to talk. He'd say, oh, come on in. And we just, we, we read Edgar Rice Burroughs stories and we, you know, we'd get high and pretend we were Tarzan and sneak up on each other as we were carrying rifles guarding your national interests. Uh, you know, he'd try and sneak up on me and I'd go, Joe, stop it. You didn't know I was coming. I said, yeah, I could hear you breathing. No, you couldn't. I'll hold my breath the next time. So we did, just did that. had so much fun. And I sure, I don't know if he's still alive or not, but I pray he did find the love of God and he did find Jesus uh, and a pair of shoes. And uh, only he would understand that. So the love of God, misunderstood, misappropriated, misapplied. So many misses with it that you wonder if it hits the target. Yes, it does. You wouldn't be here. It hit the target. 1 John 4, 7, in describing love and describing the love of God, says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, now that's where we normally stop. You have, to, you have to keep reading. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. He's laying out a description of what love looks like. From God's perspective. In this is love, not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, big word, for our sins. That, that word actually means the blood price, the, the, the required life that it took to overcome sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Now, Many, 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 many teachers, many believers, many followers, and many non-believers make the mistake today of applying relativism philosophy to love. Which means and equates that all love is God love. And Christians tend to use this passage of Scripture to try and manage that. And that's not what John's saying. Not all love is God love. Even though you love little Skippy, or whatever pet you have, 
Mine isn't little. Big Skippy. (laughs) That's not the love of God. That's my love going to that little cat. The big cat. She's little to me. Though she weighs 20 pounds. You have to undo this by understanding within the Greek language that the New Testament was translated into, the Greeks had four different words for love. Completely different, and they did not mean the same thing. So they looked like this. There was storge. Gee, that sounds so good. It's about families. Who wants to, I storge you? Uh, Oh, sounds like you're poking me with something. Storge is love for family and between family members. The old saying that, you know, uh, family's deeper than blood. You know, that it's, it's, yeah, the blood's thicker. Uh, that, That kind of thing. So they encompassed a word and it was, and it's translated love. But for them, that meant love between parent and child, child and parent, siblings, grandparents, aunts, uncles, even, even weird cousin Albert. Uh, we have a love because they're family, and it's actually a word that has some obligation in it. Yeah, hobbly. Uh, so we are obligated within family structure to have love for one another. I don't particularly like that, but it's there, and it's a word that exists. And then there's philia. That's where Philadelphia word came from, the city of brotherly love. Uh, But it doesn't mean brotherly in the sense of family. It's brotherly love in the sense of an emotional bond of caring for other people in a way that they are as close as family. You know, it's, uh, it's often said that friends are the family we choose. And it means that in every sense of the word, that uh, uh, it's a deep concern and care and a, wanting, a desire to, what Christians would use the word fellowship, to have an ongoing relationship with somebody. And that's what that Greek word meant. And then the third one is eros love. Romantic love, romantic bonding, and sensual love. It's encompassing all the idea of our humanness and how, uh, now, you 14-year-olds can't do this yet, but how your heart gets smitten when you see that one. And you go, "That's I'm so in love with them. Well, you're probably quite not quite yet. It just sort of feels that way. And that's Eros love, which is hard to control. Uh, it's probably killed more men than war. Uh, seriously. It, it, it's, it's because it's so wrapped up in emotions and sensuality, uh, it, it encompasses that love. And so they had a particular word that said, wait, that's way different than filio love. Not necessarily deeper, just very different. And there, there's this wonderful, we use it as a Christian word now, we name churches this, Agape. Agape love. So there's been agape ministries, 
all those things, because that love is reserved completely for something because it is speaking about God's love. It's not a love. Uh, Christians try to do this. I agape you. No, you don't. God agapes me. You love because agape is in you, but you don't agape me. Does that make sense? Agape is God, it's reserved. It was, the, it was the high and loftiest form of love, and it can be reciprocal. I can love God back in his love, but it is reserved so strongly uh, for and speaking about the love of God to us. Most Christians I, I've known who struggle with you know, love and God, most of the time if they struggle around the love of God, they say they don't sense it. I don't feel God's love for me, and therefore I can't experience it. Agape doesn't have anything to do with the feeling. Agape has to do with the reality. Agape has to do with existence. Agape has to do with something that's immovable and unshakable. Agape has to do with it doesn't end. It doesn't have a beginning. Agape has an encompassing embodiment which it in why John said, for God is love. That agape was the reflection of God's being. Not a feeling that God has. <laughs> You know, does God feel love? I, I'm not sure we understand that completely. Because we mix it up, and that's why it gets distorted. We mix it up with our human feelings. And then you add relativism in that today? And so that makes every form of love okay. No, that's not love. There's, there's some stuff that is not love. There can be stuff that's perverted. And us saying it's okay doesn't make it okay. Us wanting it to be okay and that's my truth doesn't make it true. Does that make sense? And it's really important. Young people, please hear me. Agape love is God's never-ending complete love for human beings and everything else. Everything else. Um, why? Well, if you look at it, and this is where correct theology comes into play, the love of God is self-existent because God is. What's so important about that? What's this? Let me, let me quote something to you. God has no origin. Novation said that in the third century. In a great declaration when there were arguments about what the love of God is, he started talking about God's existence. God has no origin, and it is precisely that concept of no origin which distinguishes that which is God from whatever is not God. Anything that was created is not God. 
God is not a created being. God has no origin. God is. In the beginning was the Word. Nothing created the Word. He was in the beginning with God. Origin, the beginning of something, is a word that can only apply to things created. When we think of anything that has origin, we are not thinking of God. God is self-existent. Nothing created Him. He didn't bring Himself into being. He is. He was. And He will be. Always. All created things necessarily, because they were created, originated somewhere in time. So, think in terms of the book of Genesis. There was a void. It says in the, uh, the Spirit of God was already there in existence and hovered over it. And then he began to speak things into being out of love. But God was there. Aside from God, nothing is self-caused. We all have, everything has a beginning. A plant had a beginning. A walrus had a beginning. You had a beginning. Skippy had a beginning. She was this tiny little fluff ball that Brenda brought home from, from the, the, what do you call it, the pet rescue place. And she had a beginning. Why is this so important? Why are you emphasizing this? So we can comprehend and place a value, not just on what the love of God is, but on laying a framework for the why of God's love. Because that's really the one that trips him up. Trips you up and trips me up. Why does God love me? We'll look at it. Love of God doesn't have a beginning, therefore it's not related to a feeling. A feeling means that you sense something and you are responding to it. The love of God can't be measured, though it's always been on display through creation and through His Son, always. Because it was with God in the beginning. It was, Jesus was always there. Jesus wasn't God's plan B for what happened to humankind. I love him so much. Um, and there's such a mess. I got I to gotta straighten these things out. By the way, we still think that way even with the return of the Lord. Everybody's wrapped their head around the return of the Lord being he's going to come back and straighten this mess out. They had that the first time he came too. God's not coming back to straighten things out. God's coming back because he's love. You all are looking at me very blankly right now. Sorry to distort your eschatology. <laughs> sort of. John 3.16 is not merely a declaration, it's a description of God's love. Listen to it again this way. This is describing God's love. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This isn't declaring something, though it does, that's true about God. This is a description of the way in which God loves. For God so loved the world. We meant, we always think in terms of, that means he loved it a whole lot. So much. For God so loved. It was so much that he sent his son. No. God loved in this way. He sent his son. He loves all of us and the world, because the world wasn't just people. He loved the world, so he sent his son. The one who created it. He wanted to be with it. He wanted to be in it. He wanted to be a part of it. Why? Because that's who he is. Because that's the way he loves. So from that, we can determine something else. The love of God is self-derived. There is not, and this is, so when this gets pokey, just listen to me, pray that prayer I prayed in the beginning. There is not something that causes or evokes the love of God. It's, this is so different than our love. All of our love, even with family members, is actually a response. Even with the one that you eros love in and fall in love, that is a response of you getting to know them in one form or another. God's love is because that's who he is. It's, it's his attribute. It's his, it's his nature, it's his character, it's the quality of his being, is love, and therefore it's always initiating love. It's not, you know, does God respond to you loving him? Yes, he receives it and appreciates it, but it's not why he loves you. God loves you because he, it's who he is. God didn't create humankind and then respond with love. God loved and created Adam and Eve, whether the story for you is symbolic or literal, however, you're, however you wrap that in your place. He didn't love them because they began to exist. They began to exist because he loved. Are you getting that? Because it's really important, otherwise you'll mix up God's love with other loves. He didn't go, Adam and Eve, oh, I am so in love. He was, if you will, not in the human sense, in the God sense, God was love within himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in complete relationship were in love. God love, agape, complete love. He didn't need anything else. Nothing else needed to exist for God to love. God was love within himself. Adam and Eve were created as, not, we can't even say as a result of that. They were created because that's who God is. We're here because that's who God is and because he loved. What's interesting, as they began to exist, 
Now remember, this is before the fall, pre-fall, Adam and Eve. They existed out of God's love, in God's love. Just like we are in Christ today, they were in God, in Christ, in the beginning, in the garden, in love. They didn't know anything else. They were complete in Him, in their understanding of His love, through relationship in Him and through Him. They didn't know the other three definitions of love. They knew agape. That's why it says, and, and they were naked and unashamed. There, was nothing, there wasn't anything in the way. There weren't any boundaries. God loved completely, and they knew that they were completely loved within the framework, not of themselves. Coming aware of themselves came from a different tree. They were only aware of God's love for them. And that even affected their relationship. So the word for Adam, the old Hebrew word ish, you know, uh, the, the interesting thing is when he created Eve, she becomes, not, he, she's not named Eve yet. That came after the fall. She's known as Ishi, of me. They relate, everything that they related between them was through God. This stunning. Eve means the mother of my children, her function. Yeah, really, like, you really get down to the, you know, yeah, all from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the measurement stick. So 2 Peter 3 9 is really important to us. Because if God still is loving that way, then look at this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, which all come out of his love, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that they should all come to repentance. This is God's self-derived love. God doesn't love because he feels sorry and bad about how much we sin against each other. That's not, that's not what salvation's about. This comes out of the derivation of who God is. He was in the beginning love, and that hasn't stopped no matter how many days happen. No matter what Adam and Eve did, God did not stop loving. God didn't change. They did. We'll look at it in a little bit. So, you go to the next thing. Or we don't go to anything. These are really, like if you can, and a, and a child, a, a young woman, you can get this concept. And, it, and it, can, it can form a direction of safety and security in your life for all the other loves that you'll go through. All those three other loves that you'll experience. God's love is self-determined, so that comes from asking the question, he's, he determines it for and towards something. What is it that God wants? Well, he wants us to respond in love, in God love. He determined that made in the image of him, we would be given parameters of free will 
to choose that. Otherwise, it didn't look like God love. If he made us do it, then it wasn't an allowance, and it wasn't God, and it didn't look like his love. It looked like something else. It looked like an obligated, binding, legalistic determination that you must return this, or the measuring stick, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, comes into play. Even under the law, the first commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God. But he doesn't make us love him. Jesus had an interesting thing about the commandments not being burdensome. It's really our misunderstanding of agape. Our love for God is not to obey him. Our love for God is to respond to it. What does love for God look like? Fear or worship? Obedience or trust? Just, I just want you to think. I'm asking rhetorically here. I'm not looking for a particular answer. It's so interesting when you go to Matthew 4, which is where Jesus, and, and this, I believe this is the only gospel that you find this in, but he describes the wilderness experience that he has, and he goes and gets tempted, right? He fasts for 40 days, 40 nights out in the wilderness. I want to jump to verse 9 for the sake of time. He said to him, he's responding to the enemy who's come to tempt him, and he says, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you all this stuff. And he said, all these things I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 6.13, except he changed the words. Because that's what love is. Deuteronomy 16 says this, or 6.13 says this, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and shall take oaths only in his name. You shall fear. Jesus takes that and goes, you shall worship the Lord. What's so important about that? It distorts our idea of what love is. Jesus understood something. He understood the determined love that he had and the intent that he was using when he gave that command. Much more than our responses did. Because it's really about worship. It's funny, and hang with me a little bit here. The very word in the in the Old Covenant in which it uses the word worship is the word proskuneo. And all it can do is describe it. And it, and it says this, so it uses a simile, like a dog licking their master's hand. That was worship. Does your dog love you? Oh, when you come home and he jumps all over you. <laughs> He comes up and he nuzzles your hand and he jumps all over you and, and jumps in your lap. And 
that was the picture that God had when he was talking about, this is what, what do I expect from them? I want them to respond to me in such a way that they lavish all their being and they wag their little tails off just to see me. And they push their nose up against me just to be near me. And they lick my hand because they can express it in no other way. And they're abandoned and don't feel ashamed of it. Think through this. Why? Because you don't fear judgment when you worship. Because the love of God is perfect. It's the only love that is perfect. I want to perfectly love God. Then be in Christ and you will. First John 4, 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment. If you have boldness for the day of judgment coming up, it means you've, you're starting to understand the love of God. I fear that day. Everyone will stand before the Lord and give an account. I'm going to stand in perfect love. I'm not going to be af- I'm not afraid of it. No matter how close I am to my home. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Ooh, now there's something of what love looks like. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Do you see how we've misapplied this into so many seminars and teachings about how to overcome your fears? It's actually talking about the fear of a God who becomes a retribution towards your life instead of a redeemer. Why? Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. He who fears is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Does God want you to fear Him? I want you to love Him. The fear of God is relating to a being that is way more awesome than you and at times beyond our understanding. And we only know what He reveals to us, but He revealed a lot in Jesus Christ. He revealed what love looked like. Now just for a minute, hang with me. In man's original mind, for Adam and Eve, there were no lines of distinction between good and bad, or sacred or secular. God was all in all. And Adam and Eve enjoyed life in the context of his presence without a consciousness or an understanding of sin. God was not the judge. God was not the rule master or the dispenser of fines and penalties for moral infractions. He was simply Father, and above all, He was love. There was no fear in them. Because of the knowledge of good and evil, when they did that, the inherent goodness of Adam and Eve's design now appeared faulty and evil to them. 
their very design appeared evil. And it made them question God's love. Think of what the enemy brought to them. Did God really say? It's to get you to question who God is. It's the birthplace, Jeff Turner writes, of the ubiquitous religious impulse resident within all human beings, that means it's there to all of us, to sacrifice and work in order to please and satisfy a God. To get him to love us. If I do it this way, will you like me? If I, if I wear this fig leaf, are we okay together? I know I'm still ugly, but I'll hide it. Really. Does this look good on me? Yeah. Sure fit me okay. Makes me look thin. I'm not getting a big belly because I'm old. You like me now? Man, how do you like me now? How do you like? And that's that, that's that, that's that damnable thing. And I'm not yelling at you to scare you, but that's what we do with the love of God. For the love of God, stop. That's not what it was about. It was never intended. So Adam and Eve, this is what they do. And it's what we still do today. And you need to ask yourself, and we can end with this. At one time before the fall, they hid in God, in the garden. After the fall, they hide from God and can't stay in the garden. You ask yourself, do I understand what God's love is? Are you hiding in God? You're not trying to hide yourself from Him. You're not putting on another fig leaf. You're not trying to, you're not trying to get something. Because that's not love. That's not agape. God doesn't need anything from you. So what are you going to bring? Salvation. Come give your heart to the Lord. Don't let Him give His to you. You'll have a new one. Here's what love looks like for us. To receive Him and be in Him. That's what love looks like. To be in the love of Christ. As He is in this world, so are we. Does God love in this world? Oh yeah. For God so loved the world that He gave. What's our role? Receive? It can't make me okay enough. It doesn't work. It's just another fig leaf designed in another way to change another way of what I think might not be okay. So, replace the measuring stick with God's love. Today, this week. Not an experience, oh, I feel His love. No. See the measuring stick. It's gone. And He says, I love you. Now get this, not because you exist, God loves you because He exists. It's stunning. That's why a child can receive it. They don't have to get it figured out. That's why a four-year-old can come into the kingdom and 
we, we pray with our, our children and our grandchildren to receive Jesus. That's how they can come in because it's, there's not a barrier. There's not a measuring stick. It's receiving who God is. It's not what you feel today. Man, the love of God is something else. This is fear to be stunned to silent awe. That's what the fear of God is. To be stunned in silent awe of how much love He is. And that no matter what happens, it won't change ever. I always use the word stunning. Let's figure out another word. Absolutely, overwhelmingly incredible is the love of God. Jesus loves me. This I know. The Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak. But he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. If that kid that was Joe Odom's roommate would understand that and said to me that to me, uh, I would have avoided a lot of stumbling and I would have hurt fewer people along the way. Paul said that too. He said, that's why I'm chief among sinners. Not, he wasn't describing, he was saying something about his life. Thank God for God's love. May I pray for you? Jesus, I pray what I prayed at the start of this, that a revelation of your love, of agape love would come to each of our hearts. It's important. We give up time for this. We listen to that, we listen to that bearded preacher to receive and to to hear. So I pray, God, not in response, but in initiation, you would capture each heart in love. That you would initiate the capture. That they would, it would be unescapable. That it would be Psalm 139. That if they, if they make their way up the mountain and reach the highest heavens, you're there. And if they make their bed in the pit of hell, you're there. And that it's your love, it's your self-existent, self-determined love that is their portion in Christ. They will always and forever be loved with a perfect love. In Jesus' name I pray. Now may the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all and in you all throughout this entire week. And I bless you with it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Some of you may want to just sit for a while and, I don't know, listen or worship or others want to greet each other. Oh, go ahead.